we began a series uh, on Advent, and uh, this week we're going to be uh, just talking about the idea of faith. And when I think about faith, I, th- I think about a story that I've uh, shared with many people many, many times over the years. Uh, but there's a guy named Charles Blondin uh, in the 1860s, was very popular and probably made most famous uh, around uh, the Niagara Falls event in which he tightroped across the Niagara Falls. So that was about a thousand foot journey, about 160 foot above the crashing water. Uh, Blondin was very popular to do that over his lifetime. And there was one such account where the narrative would say that on July 15th of 1860, that he was going back and forth. And some would say that he went across backwards and then came back forward with a wheelbarrow. I can't testify to that, but what I can tell you is there was such an account where he came back across with a wheelbarrow, and when he arrived, all the people were shouting, and they were exclaiming how great he was, and he asked the question, hey, do you believe that I could take somebody and put them in the wheelbarrow and take them across Niagara Falls? And everybody shouts and says yes, and he goes, hey, if you believe that's true, I need one volunteer. (laughs) And all the accounts that I've ever read said not one person raised their hand. That's the idea of faith. And over the Advent uh, season, uh, here's what you begin with. You begin with week one of Advent talking about hope. Hope is the expectant longing of Jesus. Typically, what you do with Advent 2 is you have four uh, candles, and then oftentimes it's a fifth. And the fifth would be celebrated on Christmas Day, where you would celebrate the the candle of Christ. And then in between, you have several different weeks that could be used really at your own discretion. Some people will use a week of hope or joy or peace or love, or sometimes they'll even... Use the idea of faith. And so today we're going to use the idea of faith. And the reason why is because we see this great definition of what faith is in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to show it to you where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now last week we talked about hope. And hope is the idea that something is going to come to pass. It's the expectation or the longings, the fulfillment of something that you have hoped for. And when you look at this particular verse, you could think, well, what's the difference between faith and hope? Are they kind of the same thing? And I think oftentimes you could think in some ways that they're almost synonymous. But I would say that they're different. Matter of fact, I think that faith is a bigger umbrella of hope. That hope really fits inside of it. Hope is this longing, this expectation, the fulfillment of something. But faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Matter of fact, if you ever... Think about the way that you use the word hope. Like, for instance, a lot of us, uh, you're watching college football yesterday, and you go, I hope Alabama gets beat, right? Uh, There's a lot of you Cowboys fans, you're like, I hope we make the playoffs, right? Um, But when you say that, you don't always have this, this expectation or longing. We use hope a lot of times as if maybe it'll come to pass. That's not really the idea of what hope was as we looked at last week. Hope is the idea of an expectation, a longing fulfillment of something to come. It's almost as if you're so eager about what you're hoping for, so expectant that it's going to happen. But where does that hope come from? It's, it's a byproduct of the greater umbrella of faith. Now, faith is a representation of our trust um, in something. Um, it, in some ways, it's encompassing hope, but it's, it's even a step further. Now, I'll explain that you're using faith all the time. And faith is oftentimes partnered with a handful of things. Faith is really, I would say, uh, 
a handful of things. It's, an, it's knowledge, it's belief, and then I would say even it's experience. So knowledge, belief, and experience is kind of really where you would kind of move to. And so here's what I would say. Faith always centers on trust. Okay, and so that's point number one. Uh, faith always centers on trust. Let me explain it to you. If, if it centers on trust, then it's based around a handful of things, knowledge, belief, and experience. How many of you came in this morning and you tested the chair that you sat in? You didn't, right? As I sat in the back and I watched all of you come in, I did not see one person in all the people here, and I would assume that it was the same for everyone in Edgewood, that you actually tested your seat before you sat down. And the question is why? It's because over the course of your lifetime, you've developed a knowledge that a chair is for you to sit in. You've developed a belief that that chair would hold you, and your experience for the majority of your life has, has proven to be true. And so what's happened is, is your faith, your experience of knowledge and belief all partnered together has built this trust that when you sit down, you believe your chair is reliable. And it's not just the, the chairs that you sit on in here, right? It's the chair that you go to and you sit in, in a restaurant. It's where you would sit in a home. Now, every now and then, you're going to come across a chair, if you're my size, that doesn't hold you, Okay. Um, has, has that ever happened to you? You found your feet up in the air because the chair you sat in wasn't reliable? Yeah, go ahead. You can admit it, okay? Yeah, I've had a couple of embarrassing moments like that. I've broken a few chairs in my life. But listen, for the most part, I would say that my belief and knowledge and experience has held true. Friends, that's the idea of faith. And so when you see this idea of Hebrews 11.1, 1, that Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. It's the idea that I'm not hoping in something that, oh, maybe it'll happen, but it's the idea that faith partnered with hope is an experience that I can count on. Martin Luther King says it this way, and I love what he says. He says, faith is taking that first step, although you don't see the whole staircase. It's just this idea, this belief that, that it's going to come to pass. It's faith. Now, what's incredible is, is that um, there's a narrative that I want to share with you today found in Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, I want you to see the faith that transpires in this account. Now, maybe you're new and you're like, I don't know exactly where Matthew is. Well, Matthew is in the New Testament. And in the New Testament um, is the latter, uh, really third, uh, last third of your Bible. And what you have in your Bible is you have the Old Testament, which tells you the nation of uh, the account of a nation named Israel uh, also tells you that there's from Israel going to become a Messiah. The New Testament tells you the fulfillment of the Messiah. Uh, it tells you also about the early church. And so if you've got your Bible, you turn to the New Testament, you've got the first account really of the life of Jesus. It's called the Gospels. It's the good news of the, the life and the testimony and the ministry of Jesus. The very first one you turn to is Matthew. So first book in your New Testament, Matthew. Maybe you're at Matthew, you're like, okay, where do I go from there? The, the large numeral um, is going to be your chapter. And then you have a little small numerals that you can't hardly see if you're my age. And, and that's your verses. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And I want you to see this story, this narrative of faith. Listen, friends, one I've read many times. I've actually never taught on this text from the subject of faith. But I want you to see it. I think it's, it's kind of interesting to see. And uh, certainly was a blessing to my heart as I studied for this time together. In Matthew chapter 2, 
It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Here it is in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew, a disciple of Jesus, gives us an account. And what's interesting is, is here he gives us an account of several different things. He gives us the account that Jesus was born and that this account, this narrative he's writing actually occurred after the birth of Jesus. And he also tells us that it included Jesus being born in Bethlehem of Judea. There was Herod, the king um, at that particular point. Um, And then also that there were wise men that came from the east. Now, the reason that this is important is because Matthew went to great detail in all of his writings to give us Old Testament prophecy. Right here in this very narrative, he tells us very quickly uh, in Matthew 1 and 2 that Jesus was born of a virgin from Isaiah 7.14. He quotes it. Uh, He tells us that he would be born in Bethlehem, which we'll see here in a few moments again. And he quotes Micah, the the prophet, in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He tells us about Herod, the one who would seek to kill Jesus. We'll see in a second. He tells you about that, quoted from Jeremiah 31. He tells us uh, in this narrative, uh, not today, but in his book about John the Baptist, the one that prepares the way. And he goes to great detail to tell you about the prophecies of old that had been fulfilled. And so as he's doing that here in chapter 2, he tells you about Jesus born in Bethlehem, Herod, the wise men. But what's interesting is, is he's telling this account after Jesus had been born. And so here it is, Herod was the king. Herod was the king of the Jews. He was a Jew himself, but he was also acting and and really supervising the Jewish people still under the Roman rule in the province of that day. And so you need to realize that he he is a man who would be oftentimes talked about as a heathen uh, in the way that he lived, and he was a monster in practice, is what some commentators would say. And so he was a man who uh, was bold and strong, a political figure of the day, but he was also a man who did not like to be tested with his power. He was a man that oftentimes could be a monster in his practices, and he brought much harm among some of the people that he ruled. Here it was that as he's living, these wise men from the east come to Jerusalem. Now, the reason that it's important that you see the wise men from the east is because right before you see wise men, you see this word called behold. Now, a year ago, we did a series called Behold. And when you see the word behold, it literally means to to take pause, to, to cause a time of reflection or a pause or a time to get your attention. And the reason that Matthew puts that here is because he's telling you about the narrative of Jesus born in Bethlehem in Judea at the time of Herod, but then he gives you a behold. And the reason why is because he wants you to see the focus, not merely on Jesus born in Bethlehem or even Herod in his reign, but what he wants you to see is these men coming from the east. Who are these men? Uh, These men are saying, uh, verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. We know that these men who come from from the east seem to be what we would oftentimes would know as maybe the kings of the east. Matter of fact, we oftentimes uh, sing a song, We three kings of... Yeah. What makes them kings? Just popular tradition. Matter of fact, when you really study the text, you realize this probably wasn't three kings. 
what it seems to be, and I think the better word in, in the scriptures is the word magi. It seems to be men of the stars. People who studied astrology, uh, you would see back in Daniel's uh, day when he was having some conversations, he would have conversations with magi or sorcerers or, or really men in the stars. These are guys who studied astrology and it was their study of the astrology that led them to the stars and the stars are what led them to the Christ child. Now, the reason that we sing We Three Kings of Orient are is because we oftentimes attribute three to the gifts, right? Uh, which we'll see in a few moments. But we really, we really don't have any solid biblical basis for our narrative or even for the cards that we have and send at Christmas. Uh, what you seem to have is a group of men who come from the east, from afar, and they're searching after the Christ child. And what you see um, prophesied even about them and their coming, Isaiah in chapter 60, verses 1 through 6, uh, he tells you all about that. I'm not going to put it for you up on the screen today. We don't have time to cover that whole thing. But let me just read you verse 6. Um, it says, A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midia and Ephah, all of those from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring gold and frankincense and good news and the praises of the Lord. In chapter 60, uh, it says that your light has come. The Lord has risen upon you. Darkness shall cover the earth. But it says, but the Lord will rise upon you. And then what blesses the Lord? These men from Sheba, the men of the east, these magi come from afar. Uh, we know that they probably likely came from Babylon and they were coming to see the Christ child. And what's interesting is the response that ensues. Let's look at verse 3. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. I encourage you to underline troubled there in, in, your, in your Bible. And the reason why is because it's important to see not only his response, but look at the response of the people he governed, which was the Jews. And it says, and all of Jerusalem with him. So who is troubled? It appears that in this text that when the, the men of the east appeared and they said, hey, we're looking for Jesus, the one born king of the Jews, we saw his star in the sky. We've come to worship him. It seems that you would have this account of Herod being troubled and all the people being troubled with him. Now, you might ask the question, well, why was he troubled? Why was he, why was he afraid of, of any of this? Well, here's why. He is the king but he's heard for probably much of his lifetime that there was a Messiah, that there was one to come. And, and even as he does hear that, he's troubled to hear that this king's arrival has happened. He's even more troubled that there would be people, men from afar, magi from the east, a distant land, coming to observe this account. And if you can imagine being a man who's already ruling with a little bit of paranoia. Now he's struck to the heart with fear. And have you ever tried to govern a people and a land by fear? What does that do to your country? If we were to, if we were to observe our president coming over national news and you could tell that he was gripped by fear, paralyzed by paranoia, and trying to give an account to our nation, how difficult would that be? Would that put you at a place where you were unsettled? Friends, that's what's happening in the land. The land is, is feeling somewhat unsettled. And it's from the king down to the people. 
So much that as he hears this, it says that he assembles, verse 4, the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So here it is, uh, Herod, who was an Edomite, he was a descendant of Esau, is ruling among the people. He has this unrest as he hears about the Messiah to be born. And he goes to the scribes and to the ruling council of that day. And he goes, tell me more about what's happening. In which verse 5, you see their response. It says that they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he, as he's gripped with fear, goes to the ruling council. Um, he goes to the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. He goes, hey, tell me more about that. In which they quote Micah chapter 5. Something they've read before and memorized and observed. They say this from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. We'll put it for you up on the screen. They basically quote what Micah says. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Basically, Micah says there's going to be a leader who's going to come from from the town of Bethlehem to be born among you. He's going to come um, from from Judah, and his his beginning is from old, the ancient of days, which meaning he's always been, but he will arrive. It's the idea that you see God's divinity here. And as these scribes and these leaders are telling Herod this, can you imagine how troubled he is? But here's what I observed. Now pay real close attention. When you're reading this, you see a handful of different things. And this is what I felt was interesting. First time I've really ever spent much time thinking about it. Did you find it strange to see that Israel's leader was not only gripped by fear, but he would become hostile towards Jesus? But what about the people? What about the Jews, the ones who have been waiting their Messiah? What about their leaders, the the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders of that day? What did they seem to do? They seemed to be indifferent towards him. Yeah, they knew what the prophet said, but even in their response, you don't see them go after the Christ child. You don't see them go anywhere. But here you've got this other group of people the Magi from the east, and what did they do? Well, you see in verse 2, they came to worship him. So you've got the Jewish leader who's living in fear and paranoia and ultimately is going to become troubled and hostile towards Jesus. You've got the religious elite and the people of the Jews who are indifferent and apathetic towards him. And then you've got these Gentiles who come from afar to welcome and worship him. Here's what I want you to see. Point one was that Faith really is centered on trust. But look at point two is just this, that faith cannot coexist with apathy, indifference, or with fear. You can't have faith and fear. You can't have faith and apathy. You can't have faith and indifference. And as we continue in this narrative, I want you to be thinking about where where am I in this narrative? Which which character am I? Who, Who is it that, and what is it that's ruling my heart? Because there's something that, as we read this narrative, that rules our heart. It's either fear, or it's an apathy and indifference, or it's something like faith. Look at what happens in verse 7. Herod 
has already uh, inquired of the Pharisees and the ruling council that day. He heard what they had to say. It says in verse 7, Then he summoned the wise men secretly. Why secretly? Then he ascertained from them what, what time the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Hey, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, hey, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Do you believe that's his best interest? The reason that you wouldn't as you're reading this narrative is not because you've already read on, and many of us have heard this story and have read on before, but the reason that we know his motives can't be pure is because we already see his response to the Christ child. We've already seen that he's troubled. We've already seen that he's living in fear and paranoia. We already know that he's, just from historical accounts, a man who is harsh and bitter and oftentimes is a monster in character. And so here it is, you see the parallels here. You see Herod and you see his disobedience because of fear. But what you also see here is you have these wise men who have come out of obedience. And so here's what I want you to see. Your faith, and I guess you could say, or lack thereof, is always going to be visible through obedience or if you wanted to say disobedience. Faith is made visible through our obedience. So faith centered on trust. Faith can't be partnered with apathy or indifference or fear. And faith is demonstrated in your obedience. Or if you wanted to say a lack of faith is demonstrated in your disobedience. However you want to write that, it's perfect for me. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, The Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. He says the two are the opposite sides of the same coin. I love that. As you uh, continue in verse 9, it says, And after listening to the king, they, which meant the magi, went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, here's what's interesting. We know that they came from the east. We know as prophesied about their coming. And we also know from their own account that they had followed a star. What's interesting here too is as they go on their way, it appears the star continues to move. Now, there have been a ton of scientists over the years that have tried to explain this phenomenon. Uh, there's been a lot of people who have said, well, was it too... Uh, Two planets lining up at the same time? Was it some astronomical uh, you know, thing that happened in the sky? I mean, we don't know. Here's what we do know is that it was divine. What we do know is that it showed the way. Personally, for me, um, I could be totally wrong, but I think about Israel coming out of the Exodus um, from Egypt. I think about their freedom, about how God led them by a, what, a pillar of fire by night. Um, how, how, how do we know what it was? We don't. What we do know is it was divinely inspired. We know from this account that it moved. We know from this account that probably not everyone could see it. Um, but what we do know is supernatural in nature. And I don't know if it was planets lining up, if it was some particular star in the sky. What I do know is that God was in control of it. I do also know, verse 10, that when they, the Magi, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why? Because their faith was coming to fruition. 
Like they saw what God was doing and it was incredible. Verse 11 says, and going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, uh, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. You can underline a couple of things. One, going into the house, you could underline or circle. When they saw the child with his mother, they fell down and they worshiped him. You could underline that too. Now, real quickly, I'm going to give you a quick commercial, quick timeout. I've already probably burst your bubble because you're like, you're never going to sing We Three Kings of Orient R again the same way, okay? But real quickly, as you see the Magi coming from the east, one important thing to note, it says, and then they went inside the house. Now, that differs from the account that, of the Christmas card that you just sent out, okay? Had the kings and uh, the camels and the, the stable, all that, okay? Probably didn't appear on that timeline. What it seems to be indicative of is that the men of the east arrived at the house, which was not at the stable, was not at the manger scene. It seems that they came later. Now, I'll prove that a second uh, from now, a little bit more. But what you see is you have men who find Jesus led by a star, not to this manger scene, but most likely to a house in which Joseph and Mary and, and baby Jesus are already residing. And so... Um, I tell you that not to burst your bubble, but to give you a historical narrative. Now, what did they do when they got there? They fell down and they worshiped him. And then we also see from the latter part of that verse that they opened their treasures and they offered him, as Isaiah the prophet would say, gifts like gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, why is that so cool? It's so cool because 700 years before these men showed up, Isaiah the prophet said they're going to show up. I don't know about you, if you, you doubt your Bible a little bit, I'm like, man, come hang out with me for just a few hours and I'll show you hundreds of prophecies that have come to fruition. Many of them you see around the crucifixion and Christ's birth. But listen, friends, this is super encouraging. Why? Because days where I, I struggle and fear or I lack faith, I can go back to the Word of God. I don't need signs, stars, wonders. I don't need something to move in the sky. I don't need horoscopes. I don't need genealogies. All I need is the word of God and a fixed firm foundation led by Christ and his spirit. That's all we need. We have all the signs and the wonders we need. Why? Because the prophets have spoken about it and we've seen it fulfilled. God works in different ways and in different times and different seasons. But friends, in this season we have, we have concrete evidence And faith is centered on such assurances, and which is the Word of God, which would bring me to point number four. Faith requires taking steps of assurance. Steps of assurance are built on things that we know have come to pass and will come to pass based off of God's Word. Augustine says it this way, Faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of faith is to see what we believe. That's what faith is. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we talked about what faith is. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. But in verse 6 of Hebrews, look what it says. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who is that? God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Friends, faith is built on the assurance of steps taken that we would follow God completely because he is true and he's trustworthy. What's interesting is you see what happens. They go to Jesus, they bow down, they worship him. 
And then verse 12, it says, And then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So here it is, they have uh, a dream. Uh, We don't know exactly how that occurred or when that occurred. What we do know is that the dream said for them to not go back to Herod. Why? Because Herod cannot be trusted. He's a man being ruled and gripped by fear. He's a man that will not bow or bend himself to the Messiah. He's a man who wants his own kingdom and will do anything to keep it. Matter of fact, here's what I would just tell you is that even though you take steps of faith based on assurance, what I would tell you too, and the Magi would experience this, is that your faith will oftentimes be met with adversity. Faith has challenges. Faith is not easy. If faith was easy, everybody would do it. If following God made sense, all of us would have done it. The reality is is that following God doesn't always make sense. Following God isn't always easy. Matter of fact, faith is oftentimes one of the more challenging things that we'll experience in life. And friends, if you're basing it off of your feelings or you're basing it off of signs and wonders, listen, you're going to move, as Paul would say, you're going to be tossed to back and forth. You, you can't worry about that. You have to be true to what God's Word says. Which Here's what God's Word tells me. God's Word tells me, just real quickly, we got a little extra time in this service. Here's what God's Word, I don't even have this in my message. I just feel prompted to tell you this. God's Word tells me this, that I am a fallible man, I'm a sinner. God's Word tells me that I am broken. God's Word tells me that my body is, is, is going to return to dust. Matter of fact, I see it evidenced more and more every day. The last two days, I've had this sharp pain going through my back all the way to my chest. I'm like, Lord, is this it? I, here's, what, here's what I would tell you is that I know that I have light and momentary afflictions. I know that my life is coming to end and I don't know if it's gonna be in my mid-40s or mid-50s. I don't know if I'll get to live to a ripe old age of 100 and just continue to share wisdom with my kids and grandkids and churches. I don't know that. What I do know is I have faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I know that I have faith in one who was born of a virgin, conceived by the Spirit, so he wasn't born of flesh like me. I know that he was sinless and perfect, and he laid his life down on the cross to be resurrected on the third day. I know that he went to be with the Father at his right hand. I know and I believe he's coming back, and I don't know if he'll come back before I die or if I'll die before he comes back. But what I do know is that there's a place in the heavens for me because of the blood of Christ. That's my confidence. That's my hope. It's why I face fears. It's why I I work through adversity. It's why, though I'm grieved by death and the pain thereof, I toil and labor with an expectation. I don't grieve as if I have no hope, Paul says. That's why. Listen, that's preaching, friends. That's preaching. I'm prepared to give an answer for that hope that I have. 1 Peter 3.15. Why? Because that's what God's word says. Friends, get to know God's word. Live by his word. Walk in faith by his word. Don't depend on preachers or teachers or scholars or TV pastors to tell you God's word. Get in it. That good enough? Okay, let me move on. (laughs) Faith will be met with adversity. Hey, you don't believe me? Let's remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember them? 
King of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down to my statue. They said, no, this is what happens. Daniel chapter three, verse 16 and 18. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer to you in this matter. He goes on and he says, if this be so, our God, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning of the fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. He goes, our God is worthy of worship. He's worthy of being bowed down to. We're not bound down to your statue. We're not bound down with the trumpet sounds. We're not listening to you in this matter, O king. Not because we don't respect you, but because there's one that's worthy of our worship. You can take our lives. You can throw us in the furnace. It doesn't matter. Our God is in charge of this one. That's faith right? Uh, faith is demonstrated in, in a young man named David um, who goes to, to feed his bu- uh, brothers in battle. He arrives and he hears about a guy named Goliath. He goes, suit me up. They suit him up. The armor's too big. He goes, I don't need the armor. I've got five stones and a sling. And he goes, by faith. And he stares at a man named Goliath who says to you, who are you to come at me? And he lays him down by faith. Faith is a young boy who has nothing but two fishes and five loaves, and he comes trusting that Jesus could do more with what he had than what he could do himself. And by faith, God feeds the thousands through Jesus. Isn't that cool? Here God chose to intervene in a dream to the Magi. Though they felt probably adversity, they probably sensed in their spirits the wickedness and the schemes of a guy named Herod, they don't go back to him. Faith is going to be conflicted with adversity. Verse 13, and the narrative, I'm going to speed up in it. It says, now when they had departed, meaning the Magi, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. That's Joseph. And they remained there until the death of Herod, which would be just a handful of years later. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So Matthew goes a throwback and he, he grabs uh, Hosea 11, chapter verse 1. And here it is through a dream. Not only the Magi not go back to Herod, but also Joseph, Mary, and Jesus go to Egypt and they find refuge there. Meanwhile, verse 16, here's why I would tell you what I told you earlier. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, uh, he became... What? Indignant, furious. He was furious. Why? Because he had been duped. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region that were two years old and under. Why two years old and under? Because they arrived at the house. Based off when the Magi showed up, based off their searching, which, by the way, didn't just happen a day or two, you know? Um, He puts the timeline together and he goes, listen, this child could be almost the age of two, probably not quite yet, but if I start at two and work backwards and I kill all the male ch- children, he goes, I'm going to get him. And that's why he does it. So it just kind of helps you in your Christmas timeline. And so here's what we know is that because of God's providence and by faith, obviously, uh, with the help of a dream, Joseph and Mary had escaped to Egypt, right? With the Christ child. But here's what I would say. It says this, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, verse 17. Look at verse 18. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Why? Because many moms bury their children. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. 
This is one of the saddest verses in your Bible. Why? Because here's what happens. Listen, when you and I are led by fear, we do crazy things. And here it is, a man gripped by fear, paranoia, and power. And he would kill anybody who gets in his way. Why? Because he believes the king of the Jews, the one the Magi had come to see, as he ascertained and questioned them, he believed that Jesus was a threat to him and his kingdom. And because of his fear and his paranoia, people were at unrest. And why would they not be at unrest? If they knew that the man in power would do crazy things in order to keep his throne. That's the narrative. That's what happens. Friends, I can just tell you, you go, well, I mean, don't be wrong. I'm, I'm, I can be gripped by fear, but I'm not going to do something that crazy. Listen, can I just tell you that fear is not from the Lord? You don't see a single time where an angel of the Lord says, hey, step back and be ruled by fear. You don't see that. That's, fear's not from God. That's, we're, we are not to be ruled by fear. We are not to be led through a, a spirit of timidity, but a power of love and self-discipline. what Paul says to Timothy. Friends, that's what I want you to understand. And so here's what you have in this account. And I'll close with this. You have a man that's ruled by fear. You have religious leaders and people, the Jews, who are apathetic. And in their apathy, they refuse to be comforted. Who is the great comforter? Isaiah says, there's the comforter. He's the prince of peace. They refuse to see him. And so even as they weep, because many of their firstborn sons are dead, they refuse to turn their eyes. They don't even search after the king. They're apathetic. And so you've got fear. You've got apathy. And then yet, here it is. You've got these men from the east, which, by the way, from Babylon, Gentiles, that even as they come to Jesus, you see, even at Jesus and his incarnation is making the gospel known, not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile. You see God's grand plan? God's grand plan is anyone who comes to me by belief, through faith, can experience the loving kindness and the tenderness of God. You can be a Jew or you can be a barbaric, you can be slave, or you can be free. You can be male or female, is what Paul says to the church of Galatia. It doesn't matter. If you'll come by faith, there's a place for you in the kingdom. And that is the message and the hope of Christmas. And I'll leave you with this one phrase. Friends, if you feed your faith, your fears will starve to death. But what are you feeding? And who are you in the narrative? Are you being led by fear? Friends, is your faith in this season apathy, indifference? Like, could you just honestly say to God, look, Lord, I'm stale. I, I'm just, I'm not following you. I'm not pursuing you. I'm, I'm not, it's not fresh. It doesn't feel like good manna from heaven right now. Or would you say, you know what? I'm being led by faith and I'm trusting God. And, and in this season, I, I believe that there's an expectation and hope. And listen, friends, while we celebrate the coming of Christ, we know that's occurred. And so as we celebrate the first coming, we, with hope and with faith and expectant longing, we believe that Christ has fulfilled all the scriptures. And the only thing yet to be fulfilled is regarding our death and eternity or his return and the setting of his kingdom. Whichever happens first is fine with me. The order doesn't matter. What does matter is that we would have faith 
and trust to walk in obedience towards the Son of God, just like the Magi who came from afar. What a cool narrative. That's what faith of Christmas looks like. And may we be blessed. May we walk out in faith. And may it be better than, man, I hope the Cowboys win. (laughs) But may it be based on the Word of God, which has been true and proven over the course of time and continues to be proven as we move forward in time. Amen, amen, amen. You know what amen means? That we agree. And so may we walk out and may our hearts rejoice. Not because of three kings from Orient are, but because of a Christ child who was born in Bethlehem for you and me. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for your grace and your providence in our lives. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what occurs, whether it be life or death, Lord, that you control it all. Lord, thank you that even now everything is under your authority. Lord, there is nothing that happens under the stars that you are not in control of. And while you have given some authority for a a season and a time to Satan and his adversaries, Lord, we know who the king is. And Lord, we know that you were king of the Jews before you were ever sent your son to be born in the stable. Lord, you have always been from ancient times. You are, as you declare yourself, Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so, Lord, may we walk by faith and not by sight. May we feed our faith. May we delight in you and your word. May we not be fixed by signs and symbols and miracles and wonders. May we be fixed by the, the word of God. And may we live by that word and may we walk in it and may we love you and enjoy you until you call us home or until you return. But either way, May we put our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, the one born in Bethlehem. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.